0: Just a heads-up, campus features mature content.
1: The first year of university, party night. It was an absolutely perfect place to hang out and have some fun. Lo and behold, there's like four beautiful, beautiful girls. And there's one, everybody's ogling over her as, you know, booze tends to lubricate conversation. And being the only Canadian guy at the party, she wants to learn English. So she starts speaking to me exclusively in in broken English. And we had very engaging conversations. So as things progressed, we wanted to get physical with each other. So I take her to the house where I haven't invited anybody else before. And we start making out. Things are getting heavy quick. We're now both getting naked. And the anticipation is huge. But in that moment, when I'm supposed to perform, I can't. I can't get it up. It's clearly not gonna happen. And it's because of a choice I made long ago that I thought I had put behind me, but it's there. It's nagging at me, and now I have to confront it. My name is William, and I used to be a priest.
0: Hey, I'm Albert. Welcome to campus. This is that place and time in our lives where everything changes. You know, many of us have moments in our past we'd like to forget and pretend like they never happened. But whether it's a traumatic event or a regretful decision, these things always have a way of reappearing in our lives, no matter how much we think we've moved on. For William, it was two things. The first was a moment of sin after dedicating his entire life to becoming a Mormon priest. He thought he could repent and still be faithful. But it was always there, weighing on him, until he eventually lost his way. William not only abandoned Mormonism, he tried to completely erase it from his past. That was a second decision that would come back to haunt him. You see, at that point, religion was sown so deep into the fabric of who he was, he couldn't escape it. It's a foundation that was built at just eight years old, inside the walls of the Mormon temple, when he was baptized and made the choice to give himself to God.
1: Mormons believe that baptism is by immersion. That's symbolic of like a washing away of sins, that you've been taught and equipped with the tools you need to choose right from wrong. And so you're starting fresh. I think I was actually baptized on my eighth birthday, like the day of, which wasn't necessarily normal, but I think my parents wanted me to be able to remember the day that I was baptized. So they pushed for me to be baptized on my birthday. Then it becomes quite divided by gender. Um, So men travel up a path of priesthood and Mormons believe that men have what they call priesthood keys. And this is the authority to do things like bless people and baptize on behalf of Christ. So of course in my family, my father was the patriarch. And every year at the beginning of a school year, we would each receive a blessing from my father So it might be that, oh, you know, I bless you that this year you'll have quality friends at school, or you might have good grades or be particularly diligent in doing your homework. But these aren't, like, guaranteed things. It's not saying this will happen to you. It's definitely a, this will happen if you are faithful to the church. It could also happen on other occasions. So, for example, um, I was stung by a lot of bees once because I was crawling around in some hay bales and there was a wasp's nest in the hay bales. And they came out in full force and attacked me. I came out of it with quite a few stings. I was swelling up quite a bit. And because we are a Mormon family, my father put his hands on my head and he would simply pray at that point, out loud, in the name of Christ, that... I would be healed and that going forward, I would be protected from these kinds of things. And as the whole family kind of comes out of this prayer with you together, you feel a, a lot of support knowing that you've got God's power at work to help you and your family.
0: That was the first of many small personal moments for William that helped connect him with his family's beliefs. As he grew older, these moments would strengthen his own connection with God, Until one day, when William was in high school, he had a brush with death that sealed his faith.
1: I was supposed to attend my brother's junior high school play. I'm driving down some dirt roads, because this is rural Alberta here. So gravel roads, and as I come up over a hill, I'm speeding, the highway intersection is right in front of me, and a minivan comes up the highway. and I smoke the minivan. The van goes out of control, I go out of control, airbags pop, everything finally settles and immediately I know I might have just killed somebody. So when I get out of the car and at this point, I guess I was out for a little bit because there was already police on scene and an ambulance and I get out and see that there's this mom and her daughter and that they're okay. I was I was overwhelmed with just everything. It was terrifying to think that I had almost killed somebody just because I was in a rush. And I was sad about everything I had done, but I couldn't help but recognize that if I was a split second earlier, instead of hitting just behind the sliding door, I would have like careened into the passenger where the daughter was sitting, and I would have killed her. Or if I was two split seconds before, they would have T-boned me and I would have been the one who was dead. So for for, for me in that moment, I, was, I felt that God had protected me. God had somehow intervened to make sure that I was okay. And that was based on my faithfulness.
0: It was a defining moment for William. In the days that followed that accident, he became more determined in his path to priesthood. William began studying scripture every morning before school and often found himself going to his local temple by himself to reflect on his faith.
1: It's easy when you're in the temple to actually have a spiritual reflective moment because the temple isn't a place where people are preaching to you. I wouldn't go to hear other people tell me what the commandments of God are. I wouldn't go to have other people tell me how I should behave. It was when I would go and listen to my own thoughts and the Holy Spirit talk to me through what I should do. So these times where you kind of quietly reflect on the things that you believe become really important. In high school in particular, where there's all these kids around me who clearly don't believe in God, who have completely different values than I do. So if I get, I don't know, invited to a party where there's going to be drinking, if 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 church and God wasn't on my mind, I might have said yes. But because God was always on my mind, every morning, every night, it was almost impossible for me to accept doing anything that wouldn't uphold the standards of the religion. And that highlights in my mind, we are different. We are different. Everybody else is out drinking. They are out exploring sexuality. And we're playing board games, watching Disney movies. And it's the right thing to do.
0: William became a priest at just 16 years old which isn't unusual for a devout young Mormon man. And after high school, there really is only one destination for a budding Mormon academic to pursue higher education. Brigham Young University, just outside Salt Lake City in Utah, the epicenter of the Mormon faith. But when William arrived on campus, it didn't take long to realize that things were done a little differently in Utah.
1: When I was growing up in Alberta, being taught what Mormonism was all about, it was about the religion. It wasn't necessarily about the culture. By contrast, when I get to Utah, which is Mormon central for the world, Utah has its own culture built up within it that doesn't necessarily reflect the doctrines or the teachings of the church. And Brigham Young University emulates that. For example, the religion doesn't say anything about having a beard. However, at Brigham Young University, you can't have a beard. I couldn't have a beard. The religion doesn't care. But the culture of Mormonism in Utah has built that up to be something of importance. And this began to irk me a lot that these culturally-based rules didn't mix very well with all the things that I'd been taught that mattered, like keeping the law of chastity and not having sex before marriage or not drinking alcohol or not lying and not stealing and doing all those things, all of a sudden I'm supposed to not forget to shave for a day, it didn't make any sense. And I remember I had this girl that I I liked and so there's the one day a week where I'm allowed to have a girl in my dorm for two hours And I suggest coming over and watching a movie on my laptop. And she comes over and I go to put on a movie, a movie I like. Undercover Brother. Undercover Brother?
0: Undercover Brother? What happened to you? He had sex with a white girl. That's what? Oh, was it everything oh, I dreamed oh, it of? Was good. She was was good? had it pink nipples then. Yeah, oh, yeah. Excuse me.
1: So we put it on and we hardly got into it. And of course, there's some kind of sex scene and a bunch of foul language. And she turned it off. And she kind of put it on me as if I was encouraging her to sin and I wasn't. And this is what BYU became about for me. It became about seeing everybody through this lens of extremism that detached itself from the teachings of the church. So when I got back to Alberta, I was thrilled. It actually felt great coming back. and I was like, ah, this is where my Mormon community exists. At the same time, I was also reacquainting myself with a girl who was a neighbor we had been friends our whole life but she wasn't mormon and it didn't really matter to me anymore because i felt less inclined to only surround myself with mormons like i had in high school cuz i was kind of just i just needed to get mormonism out of my out of my brain for a bit and this girl and I got together, and there was a day when we were just walking through the woods that were near my house, and she kissed me. And it went from there. We became a couple, and her prom was also coming up. So she asked me to be her prom date. So come prom night, we go to the the dinner, the ball, do all the dancing and sitting through the awards and all that stuff. And the night continues. We go to the uh, essentially a camp and a bonfire out in a field somewhere. So everybody would set up tents, had a big bonfire, and everybody's getting drunk. I'm feeling super awkward because I'm the only one there who's not drinking. I'm the only Mormon there, and everybody's doing what normal people do. And my date's kind of, she's, she's expecting that we do something worth telling her friends about later. And I know we had this built up sexual tension. There was, it wasn't just having sex before marriage. It's a huge sin, but one thing led to another. We were making out and we're both horny. So we start to have sex. And it was miserable by all accounts. I was like, well, That wasn't worth it. If if I'm going to sin, it better be awesome. And this was not awesome. I was feeling like I had betrayed myself.
0: In case you didn't know, you're hanging out here on campus. had broken the law of chastity. It was a massive sin, and now he had to figure out how to carry it with him and continue his path as a Mormon priest. He was just a few weeks away from a two-year mission away from home, two years of dedicating every waking moment to spreading the word of God.
1: Being a missionary is something that you build up to your entire life. So mentally and emotionally and spiritually, all the things I did was because I wanted to go on a mission. If I was waking up before high school to go to seminary early, early in the morning when everybody else is asleep, it's because I was trying to learn the things I needed to learn to be an effective missionary. So it was never a question of, yeah, am I going on a mission? Of course I'm going on a mission. It only became a question as I'm lying in that tent thinking about that choice I had made and whether or not that would preclude me from doing this. But I know in that moment that even though I have sinned, God can still speak through me to the benefit of others. And I firmly believed that I could put it behind me and I could be a good missionary and be able to bring the gospel to people regardless. When we get off the plane in California, everybody's excited, and I was equally excited. It's also very overwhelming because at the exact same time you're going from life and its rules to mission rules and by mission rules i mean right from the very get-go the first thing you get is a companion and now you are joined at the hip you are never allowed to be out of eyesight or earshot of that other person unless they're in the bathroom that is the written down explicit rule Which means that you're always surrounded by another person who believes in what you believe and is pushing you and motivating you and you're pushing them and motivating them to believe and be a better teacher. Hi, sir, how are you today? Hello. We're both here from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, sir. Have you heard of the Book of Mormon? No, I have Every morning, you have you're to going out, Jesus knocking Christ. doors, standing on street corners okay, yeah. to try and find okay, new that's interested right. investigators, is what we call them. They're investigating the church. How's it going? It's a beautiful day, isn't it? I see you've got a book in your hand, but have you heard of the Book of Mormon, ma'am? Hey, good afternoon. How are you? Hi. Hi there, sir. How are you? Do you have a minute to talk about Jesus Christ? Excuse me, ma'am. Um, we're Mormons. Mormon, Missionary Life is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for two years, where all you do is live and breathe teaching people about Mormonism. You're required to wake up at 6 o'clock, go to bed at 10 o'clock, like clockwork, and during all waking hours, all of your attention is dedicated to teaching other people About Mormonism. You can't go to movies. You can't go on the internet. You don't have a cell phone. You can't watch TV. You don't even have a TV. You can't listen to music. You cannot contact your family by telephone except on Mother's Day and Christmas. So the only times you're allowed to call your family. That's missionary life for two years. Just teaching and studying the scriptures and 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 teaching missionary life consumes all of who you are and it's supposed to and i'm now teaching actively teaching people about the commandments including the commandment of chastity to not have sex before marriage And now I'm here telling people I was worthy when I wasn't. And after a while, I just, it it felt, it felt like I was a liar. And I was a liar. And me acknowledging to myself that I wasn't sincere became a problem. My companion would be like, hey, it's six o'clock, let's get up and read some scriptures. And I'd be like, no, I just don't really want to. And I would just kind of shrug it off. And I did that for a lot of things. I, I didn't want to be up in the morning reading scriptures. I'd rather be sleeping. I didn't want to go to somebody's house and teach them. I just wanted to hang out and be a human. And that's probably when I started saying, maybe the whole thing isn't for me. If I can't be a good missionary because I've already made these choices, can I be a good Mormon because I already made these choices? And then I started thinking further that maybe Mormonism isn't for me. Now I'm wondering, well, what what am I going to do? And Throughout this entire mission, I had been obviously doing what missionaries do and they pray a lot, and the entire time I got what I considered to be no answers. So if God wasn't going to help me be a better missionary and he wasn't going to help me stop being a missionary, well, then maybe I had been abandoned, and maybe I had been abandoned because maybe God wasn't there. Like, it's, it's real easy once you start doubting your faith, to go down the rabbit hole all the way down to there's no God.
0: William eventually finished his mission and came home a changed man. After 22 years of committing himself to Mormonism, William was done. He had completely lost his faith and wanted nothing to do with God. So he started fresh. He left Brigham Young and enrolled at the University of Victoria, a place where no one knew him a place where he could forget his religious past and redefine himself.
1: I got an apartment by myself because I was completely sick of having a roommate. So I would just wander around downtown sometimes, not going anywhere, but just being around people, just normal people. And no one knew I was an ex-Mormon. I had put it all behind me, and it felt fantastic. And in order for me to keep that illusion, I had to play up to it. first year of university, party night. It was an absolutely perfect place to hang out and have some fun. Lo and behold, there's like four beautiful, beautiful girls. And there's one, everybody's ogling over her. As, you know, booze tends to lubricate conversation. And being the only Canadian guy at the party, she wants to learn English. So she starts speaking to me exclusively in in broken English. And we had very engaging conversations. So as things progressed, we wanted to get physical with each other. So I take her to the house where I haven't invited anybody else before. And we start making out. Things are getting heavy quick. We're now both getting naked, and the anticipation is huge. But in that moment, when I'm supposed to perform, I can't. I can't get it up. She's frustrated, I'm frustrated, and at some point, pushing it any further was just further embarrassment. I roll over, ashamed, and I know. It's not gonna work because there's a part of me, a huge part of me, I've been ignoring for months now. And that part of me still believes that having sex before marriage is wrong. And that that's a big deal. And I've spent months, months and years fighting with it. It's manipulated me and here it is again, telling me that I'm making a bad choice choice that for the first time around damaged my ability to be a missionary and damaged my ability to be a good teacher. And here I am again, trying to make that same choice. But now, the Mormon ingrained inside of me is not going to let it happen. I can think that I've put my Mormon aside. I've ignored it. I pretend it's not there. I don't tell anybody about it, but it's there. And I can't just Wish it away. It's part of who I am. Being a Mormon permeates who you are. Your day-to-day, morning to sleep, everything. And to just up and pretend it's not in you wasn't going to work. There were times when I thought maybe it's because I am a Mormon at heart and I need to go back to it. But those times were fleeting and far in between. I learned a lot of things as a Mormon, but that's not who I have to be anymore. After that first year of university, I met a girl there, I eventually fell in love with her, and I did talk to her about the fact that I used to be a priest. She was able to look at my experience as a Mormon as an interesting step in my timeline. Not because it made me a freak, but because it was something that genuinely formed a part of who I was, and she was trying to get to know me. That really highlighted in my mind the idea that people can't get to know me without knowing where I came from. We all think that certain things in our past don't matter, or that they're behind us. And they might be, but they're still affecting how you perceive the world. And by acknowledging it, you're not being a slave to it. When I look at who I am as a person, it's not who I am right now. It's a cumulative effect of everybody I was and who I am right now. I used to be a priest. I used to teach people things I no longer believe. I could resent it. I could say it was, it it took away my humanity, but it it didn't. I accepted it. I went into it. I, I made the best of it and I learn from it. We all exist on a timeline. We can look at ourselves as a point on that timeline, but that doesn't tell us anything useful about ourselves. Examining where we come from is much more useful when trying to figure out where you're going. We don't ever exist in one point, but we are attached to everything we've done before, and we can't ignore it.
0: Campus is produced by Eric Van and me, Albert Loyal. The senior producer is Sean Brocklehurst. If you want to hear more life-changing stories on campus, subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. Give us a shout on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know what you thought about this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Take care.